This morning, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 39 together. As we continue in the story of Joseph after that brief interlude last week, but I think we will also see the importance of that interlude as we look at what befalls Joseph this morning. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. This is not the words of mere men. It is the word of the living God. It is completely without error. It is completely sufficient to guide us in faith and life. And it is completely authoritative. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, 
The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's now pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us from your word. O Holy Spirit, You who are the author of the Word. Convict us of our sin by Your Word. Encourage us with the promises of Your Word. And show us the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Your Word. This we ask in the name of our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How do you view the presence of the Lord? You know, we know in our society that the idea of God and the presence of God is is one that is intentionally vague. People around us speak of God being somehow vaguely around us, but not too aware of what is going on with us. It is this sort of vague mist, even like this morning's fog, that surrounds us but doesn't really affect our lives. But the problem is, even as... Those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand and know that God is more than vague, but we can sometimes fall into a different trap. We view the presence of God as dependent on us, on what we do, or worse yet, on our circumstances. When things are going well, God is obviously present with us. But when things take a turn for the worse, He's obviously gone. We are even tempted to think, perhaps, if we have been ill or been in the hospital, that our medical chart charts the course of when God is beside us and when He has left us to ourselves. Well, this morning we're going to see, in the second incident of the life of Joseph, that the Lord God is present with His people through all things. We might even think of this morning's 
sermon is presenting the easy, hard, and harder view of God's presence. Because you see, it is quite easy to think that God is present with us, that we have the Lord's presence in blessings. But it is perhaps more difficult to understand the Lord's presence in temptation. The hardest of all for us is to understand the Lord's presence in trials. But that's exactly what we will see in the life of Joseph, that the Lord is with him through blessings, through temptation, and through trials. Well, let's begin then by looking at the Lord's presence to Joseph in blessings. Now, it is a bit hard to speak of the blessings of God at this point in the life of Joseph, isn't it? I mean, let's think about Joseph's situation. We've gotten a little bit away from it in Genesis 38. But recall from Genesis 37. Can you imagine the trouble that Joseph He's been betrayed by his family. He's been beaten and mocked. His cries for help have been ignored. And he has been sold into the hands of strangers who most certainly mistreat him. They make him walk when he would rather sit. They don't give him food when he's hungry. They don't give him enough water. They don't speak to him kindly. They don't want to hear him speak. Can you imagine if you had to put up with but one day of that from people who are around you? Then imagine a day bleeds into a second day. And a week. Perhaps even as much as a month of travel, as they travel in the hot desert sun through the sand down to Egypt. But it's not just trouble that Joseph has. Can you imagine the fear that would grip him? This would be the kind of fear that would grip the most macho of men among us. What will happen to me? Where will I go? What will come of me? You see, we are often caught in a rut. We think sometimes life is like a Hollywood movie. And if Joseph's life was a Hollywood movie, somewhere back in the distance, we would see someone, one of Joseph's friends, or perhaps one of his family, get him to rescue him. You know the scene. Strapping on the body armor. Locking and loading. Getting ready. And we would just wait and say, oh, those slavers are going to get it now. But that's not how real life works. Sometimes when we're off in difficulty and trouble, there is no one coming to rescue us. As a matter of fact, Joseph knows this, and this would contribute to the fear. He certainly would know that his brothers are not going to tell his father that he's even alive, let alone where he is. You can be certain that they would how they would trick their father in his presence. And he knows no one is coming because no one expects that he is even alive. Can you imagine the despair that would bring to Joseph? They're not coming to get me because the people who would come are the ones who sold me in the first place. But what does God do in the midst of this black cloud? He does something very interesting that at first glance does not seem like a blessing. 
these Ishmaelites just happened to be traveling to Egypt. And they just happened to meet a man from Egypt. And they just happened to sell Joseph to him. Now, if you know anything about the providence of God, or if you've been following along in how God is guiding His people through the book of Genesis, you know that none of this just happens. The Ishmaelites are going where they are going like they are following a laser beam because God has decreed it. God has brought Potiphar to this place at this time because God wants Joseph in Potiphar's house. And initially, this is a great blessing. Joseph could be sold into any form of slavery. He could have to labor in salt mines to his death. He could be working out in the fields. But no, he is sold to one of the highest-ranking Egyptians, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. He's sold to an Egyptian, a cultured man, who is very high up, and he's not placed in the position of a common slave. Do you see what the text says? That he was in the house of his master. Any of you who know anything about American slavery in the 19th century know that it was a great benefit and blessing to be a household slave as opposed to a field hand. Because, of course, you're out of the hot sun. You're not doing hard labor. That's exactly what Joseph has here. Even in slavery, God is looking out for Joseph. God is at work. I want you to notice something else here. God is at work bringing Potiphar to Joseph, in verse 1. Do you see that? Verse 2 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord was actually with Joseph before we even know that the Lord was with him. The Lord has been with Joseph at all times. He is laying the groundwork for his purpose. It's kind of like what we see outside our very doors, isn't it? How long have we watched layers of asphalt and concrete being laid for the road to be used? Do you know where they were over on Katie Fluellen? If you're new to the area, you don't. You just see a finished road. That's what this road will look like shortly. But you don't get to the finished road until the groundwork is laid to what's in the background has been done. And that is true not just of roads, it is true of our lives. You see, God is at work to, uh, with us and in us through every portion of our lives. Not just in the highlights and the points that we remember. You need to be looking for it. God is with you right now. He has you here in place listening to this man from this text right now for his eternal purpose. I don't know what that reason is. Perhaps you need to repent of your sins. Perhaps you need to bow the knee to King Jesus because pride is welled up in your heart and you have no hope in your life and God is telling you to listen to Him and His Word. Perhaps you yourself are struggling with temptations and you need to hear from God's Word how to handle temptations. Perhaps you are in despair because of the circumstances of your life and God has you here to hear His Word. A Word that was written millennia ago for you right now. 
The Lord is with Joseph, Moses tells us in verse 2. But this is not the mere omniscience and omnipresence of God. The Lord is not with Joseph the same way that we say God is everywhere. The Lord is with Joseph here specifically, covenantally, and lovingly. And it's almost a refrain that comes up through this text, isn't it? In verse 2. Again in verse 3. In verse 5, in a little bit of a different way, as it speaks of the Lord's blessings. In verse 21, again, and in verse 23. Reminding us that the covenant presence of God It's with Joseph. God is in control in spite of everything. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. The Bible is telling us as a fact that the Lord is with Joseph in the midst of abuse, being sold into slavery, and in his current bondage. Do you think the Lord can be with you in sickness? Do you think the Lord can be with you in a rough patch in your marriage? God does not abandon us. We know this for a fact. And we can take great comfort from this blessing that He gives to us. But there is, of course, always our response to the Lord. And the Lord's presence gives us comfort, but it also gives us an opportunity to be faithful. You see, these blessings need to be seen, don't they? If you don't see them, they're not blessings to you. And if we're honest, often we look for problems, don't we? We look up in the clouds and we say, yeah, it'll probably rain. We look and we say, oh, this will never work out. We say, I'm sure I won't recover from this illness. Oh, no. The kids will never get turned around. Right? If we're on the case, it's a great temptation because, you see, if it comes true, then we've seen it and we've got an excuse. And if it doesn't come true, then, well, you know, that's a good opportunity to be wrong. I like being wrong when good things happen. But, you see, that's not the biblical way of thinking about things. We have to look at these blessings, see God's providence in the midst of them, and then that gives us the opportunity to act and encouragement. And we see this in Joseph. Joseph is being observed by others around him. This is obvious, isn't it? Potiphar sees what is going on. He sees how Joseph works. He sees what his results are, so much so that He then promotes him over and over again. Joseph works hard. I want you to think about that for a minute. How many of you work hard for a really annoying boss? How many of you work hard when you get a smaller raise than you thought you should have gotten? Joseph has every reason in the world to be a slacker. Teens, I give you a pass here. If your family beats you, sells you into slavery, and you go into another nation, you can slack off. You have the pastor's permission. 
Somehow, I don't think those things are ever going to happen to you. So, not getting the newest game, not having the newest sneakers, not getting the extra $10, not give you the right to slack off. Not because it's a duty you owe, but because others are watching. They watch and see how you react to things. They start watching even when you're young. And you testify to the Lord Jesus Christ about how you act, about circumstances, and how you are faithful in where God has placed you. You see, especially young people, if you have not memorized huge sections of the book of Romans, if you feel unable to walk up to people and give a dissertation on the theology of God, you can speak to the goodness of God and His mercy in your life, working hard and not complaining. This is what Joseph does. And do you see what happens? Potiphar does not say, this guy's a pretty good worker. He doesn't even say, you know, this man's God, he must be looking out for him. No, do you see what he says in the text? His master saw in verse 3 that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Potiphar knows Jehovah because of Joseph's work. What an encouragement to us that our faithfulness can be a testimony to the goodness of God. Not that we are trying to work an angle, but that we see that God is good and others are good around. You see, Joseph is successful in what he does and you see the extent of it. God so blesses him in every single thing he does. He's successful. You know, you get the picture that Potiphar tells Joseph to throw out this bag of seed that isn't working anymore. And Joseph dumps it in the yard and crops come up. He tells him to throw out this chipped jar or bowl. And Joseph looks at it and he fixes it and it's better than new. Everything he lays his hands to. If Joseph were in the stock market, his return would be 30 40%. Everything he lays his hands to. And you see, Potiphar is a smart man. I want you to remember this. Potiphar is a smart man. He sees, he understands, and he acts on it. He's not afraid to promote the Hebrew. He says, this is going well. And do you see what he does? He so trusts the faithfulness of Joseph. So faithful that Potiphar doesn't pay attention to anything except for what he eats. And I don't think that's because he's afraid of the food. I think that's because Potiphar's a guy. And guys like food, don't they? We like to think about food. We like to think about the portions of food we'd have. We like to think about sauces on the food. Right? When we were getting married many years ago, I put into place some advice that I was given, and I give it to all potential grooms. There's going to be some point in which your fiancé is going to ask you to be involved in the wedding, and that, that doesn't mean she wants your ideas about flowers. She wants you to like her ideas about flowers. But the place where the groom can get in his wheelhouse, can get a good stroke, like hitting free throw after free throw, is with the dinner. Right? Making sure the food's right. That's what Potiphar's doing here. He doesn't care about anything else because Joseph has it all in hand. He's present in the blessings to Joseph. 
But we see that the Lord is also present in the temptations that come to Joseph. And the first thing that we see is we must, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must first be able to recognize temptation when it comes. Blessings are good, but often they can bring trouble in their wake. Envy, greed, harm. And so we must be vigilant. Because even in the midst of blessings, sin is present, our own sin, and the sin of others around us. We said that Joseph was blessed. He's not out in the fields, is he? No, he's in the house. Well, what happens because he's in the house? He's around Potiphar's wife every single day. Joseph has been blessed. He's put in charge of everything. So who does that mean he's going to have to deal with every single day? Potiphar's wife. We might say in one sense that God has so arranged the circumstances to put this temptation in front of Joseph. Now, the Lord does not tempt us, but the Lord uses the temptations that surround us, the sin that surrounds us, to test us, to prove us, and to show opportunities for His grace and our growth. And so He is daily with her, And lest we think that something unusual is going on here, Moses gives us a throwaway line. He says, ladies, let me tell you, Joseph was a looker. And the the Hebrew is actually very vivid. It says that he was beautiful of form and of face. So he had it all going on. You know, he worked hard, so he had the muscles but he also had the beautiful face. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because the exact same phrase is used of Rachel in Genesis 29. And you saw what the way Rachel looked, how that did Jacob, right? Jacob did the old cartoon thing with the eyeballs popping out and the tongue down there. And he says, i got to have Rachel. i got to have Rachel. I worked 14 years for Rachel. So this is a natural thing. A blessing of fitness... And being pleasing to the sight causes a temptation to come into Joseph's life. Are you prepared for temptations when God brings them to you? Are you prepared for the temptations that will grip your heart when you have success in business? Are you prepared for temptations of pride that will come to you when your children fell in school? You see, this is a temptation that comes front and center, quick and bold. And it tells us something else. You need to be preparing for temptations right now. Because does Joseph get a run-up period? No, you see, we would imagine maybe temptations would come to us that Potiphar's wife would first, she'd look up at Joseph and maybe give him a look. And then the next day she might brush his shoulder. And then the next day she might drop a hint. And he would get time to get a clue, but that's not what happens here. She walks right up to him and says, hey, buddy, what do you think? Whoa, I was was thinking about uh, my master's grain. Um, um, You see, the time to be ready for a temptation is not in the moment. It's in prayer beforehand. It's in reading your scriptures beforehand. 
It's in speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ beforehand. That is the time of preparation. So when temptation comes, we can face it without fear. And you see, Joseph understands this. He sees the danger. Look at how he responds to her in verse 8. Now, again, understand this. He is a slave in his master's house, and his master's wife comes up to him and propositions him, and he says this word, Behold! Now, can you imagine that? A slave raising his voice to his master's wife? But you see, he understands how dangerous this is. Now, don't let the Hebrewism throw you. Don't let it blunt the force of this. She comes up to him, and he's ready, and he says, Whoa, lady, back off. Let me tell you about this here. And he then begins to tell her why he cannot give in to temptation. And he says three things to her. The first two are very interesting. The first reason, he says, is because I'm trusted in my master's house. He's given me everything here. He doesn't even look after me. Now think about that. In our world today, that's not a defense against temptation. That's an excuse. Ooh, I won't get caught. There's no way I'll get caught. Master doesn't know anything. Because you see, for most people that you meet, if their hearts are not gripped by the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, they make decisions on whether they should do or not do something primarily on whether they will get caught or not and what the punishment will be if they get caught. But you see, Joseph takes the exact opposite tack. He says, because I'm not likely to get caught, because my has trusted me, I can't abuse that trust. Then he says a second argument. He says, he's given me everything, everything but you. And then there's this line. I love the way the scripture uses small phrases. He pokes back at her. He says, he's given me everything but you, because you're his wife. Do you know what a wife is? Do you know what a wife is supposed to do? Do you need me to define it for you? You see, he pokes right at her. Now, this is the exact same thing that confronted Adam and Eve. And so it confronts you and me. You can eat of any tree in the garden, any tree at all, but this one. Which one do you want? I want this one. What do you think, kids? We can go anywhere on vacation, anywhere in the world but Florida. Where do you want to go? Florida. You can have any color, any color in the world but purple. Which color you want? Purple. This is what happens to us. This is the sinful nature of our heart. We want what we can't have. But you see again what Joseph does. There is hope for us. Because you see, there is the work of God after Adam and Eve have fallen. And he uses this as an excuse not to fall to temptation. He says, I have so much that God has given to me. My master has given me all sorts of things. I don't need to go after the one thing he's restricted me from. 
Is that how you approach life? Because let me tell you, that is the only place where you will find comfort and peace. The law that God has laid down in His Word is a law that protects us. It describes for us goodness and love and holiness. The sum of the law is love. Love toward the neighbor. Love toward God. You see, we do not find ourselves and our meaning and our hope in doing things that are forbidden. We do not try and do things as long as we can without getting caught. We follow the will of God. The third thing that we see here is that Joseph understands not just the human arguments against temptation, but the divine argument. Do you see what he does? This is a bold slave. He doesn't say, you know, that's an interesting suggestion, but I think I'll pass for now. Take a rain check. Thank you for the kind offer. Glad you think that I'm attractive. But I'm going to now go over here. No, he looks right at her and he says, this is great wickedness. And the word is a filthy word. I mean, there's no beating around the bush here. This is a calamity. This is misery. This is evil. Now, that's sure to endear him to her. But you see, he understands it because he's not worried about impressing her. He's not worried about his status. He understands what God's word says about this. And he declares God's word to her. And then he says, I cannot sin against God. Now, do you notice here he is not afraid to make a stand? He's not afraid to say what the Bible says. But do you also notice that he does not do what we are often tempted to do when confronting the world? He does not take the next step. He doesn't say, you're a miserable, rotten person and I never want to see you again. He doesn't begin to pile on. He stands for God's truth, but he does it in a way that honors God. And then he begins to do something. After he has recognized the temptation that has come into his midst, he does something that too often we fail to do. He flees temptation. I have to tell you, there are certain texts as a pastor that you study and you look at that really affect you because you understand your own life and your own sin and rottenness. And this is one of them. How often do you flee temptation? Or do you think I can handle it? That's okay. I can watch this show. I'll fast forward to the bad part. I can read this book. I'm mature. I can handle it. I can go in this place because I can handle myself and won't get into trouble. Isn't it true? We do this from the youngest of ages. We think we are stronger than we are. We think we are more macho than we are. And we think it's all on us. You see, God here says it's a good thing to run away. Men, you need to hear that. Because I think in our minds, when we hear run away, we think of the scene from the Monty Python movie. How someone who runs away is a coward and is false. But you see, it's not just this. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee. 
youthful lusts. And I believe that Paul had, student of the Bible that he is, in his mind, Genesis 39. You see, fleeing temptation is a manly thing to do. Because you see, the temptation here is constant. It is day after day after day she comes to him. It's like what happened to Samson. You remember that? Tell me what makes you strong. No, don't bother me. Oh, please, tell me what makes you strong. No, I told you, don't bother me. Now, come on, tell me what makes you strong. Okay. If it'll keep you quiet. How did that work out? You see, Joseph is under constant pressure here, and he knows it's going to get worse. And when she grabs him, she accelerates the level of the temptation. He goes into the house, and no one is there. And if you think it's a coincidence that no one is there, you need to be taught. Because she has told the servants... Go. I'll take care of some stuff. And she is ready to act. And she thinks, oh, Joseph is just shy. I just need to help him out a little bit. I just need to be a little bit more bold. And she seizes him. And what does he do? Does he try and explain to her? Does he try and rationalize to her? No. What does he do? What he does is he flees. He heads for the door. He doesn't take any chances. He has no choice. This is something that you're faced with. You may need to flee a job where people are telling you to do unethical things. You may need to flee relationships you have, especially relationships, friendships with people of the opposite sex. Because there's temptation involved. You may need to flee friends you have because they are tempting you and dragging you down. You see, this is what Joseph does and God is there with him in the midst. Well, this doesn't turn out so well for Joseph, does it? But it does give us an opportunity to see the Lord's presence in trials. You see, what happens is what we would expect. She's not about to be embarrassed. Joseph flees, and she uses his good actions against him. This is another lesson for us. Doing the right thing does not always get you good circumstances. Oftentimes, doing the right thing gets you bad things. You remember I told you about the elder in Uganda? whose business is going down the tubes because he's decided that the Bible has convinced him he should not be using bribes as a regular way of doing business. And now no one will do business with him because they want the bribes. What should he do? Should he dishonor God's word and go along to get along? You see, this is what happens oftentimes. And an injustice is done to him. She says, oh, exact opposite of what actually happened. And Potiphar comes in and he is angry. He is furious. Now, what kind of a man is Potiphar? You remember we said it. What kind of a man? He's a smart man. If you think Potiphar does not know what kind of a wife he has, again, you need a lesson. He's a smart man. Why is Potiphar angry? 
Well, I think Potiphar is partly angry because maybe it's true. I think Potiphar's also angry because his wife is at it again. And I think Potiphar's angry because he's going to lose the best worker he has ever had because he can't lose face here. Now, why do I say that? You say, Pastor, but he throws him into prison. Yes, he does. Do you know what a husband could do in this day? Immediately and without any trial, kill the perpetrator. Does he do that? He puts him into prison. Which prison? The prison where the king's prisoners are. It's a white-collar prison. This is not a torture prison. This is not an everyday person prison. We see this later because the king's butcher and the king's baker are there. The king's steward is there. Right? And now you know the story. Now you know why this is happening. Why is Joseph having this happen to him? Why is this injustice coming upon me? Why am I being thrown in jail? Ah, 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 ah. Don't read ahead. Because you see, when you read ahead, you jump and then you lose the effect that it has on you because you see, bad things will happen to you and you wonder, why is this happening to me? Abandoning me. This is horrible. And I say to you, things happen to you and circumstances come because God has a purpose for your life. I don't know what it is. God may need you in the poorhouse. God may need you in the hospital hooked up to all kinds of tubes to talk to a nurse or a doctor. I don't know. God may need you to go through struggles and trials to wean you away from the sin that would blot out your life. But the lesson here is don't judge God by the circumstances. God is present even in the midst of this trial. And you see, Jesus does this. He knows his circumstances don't control and that God is with him and God shows him a ray of light. Do you see the last part of this chapter? It's almost exactly the first part of this chapter, right? It's almost comical. Now Joseph's in prison. What happens? Everything he does prospers. What happens? The guy who's in charge sees it. What happens? He puts him in charge. Puts him in charge of what? Everything. Pretty soon, he's not going to be in charge of a prison. Pretty soon, he's not going to be in charge of a slave household. Pretty soon, he's going to be in charge of the world. You see, God's got him in training. And what's important for Joseph here is not to know the end. God may not put you in charge of the world. But just as with Joseph, God is in your life. The Lord is among you. He is working life out exactly as He would have it. To the greatest good for you. Don't doubt the Lord's presence in your life. Whether it's temptations or whether it's trials. One thing is constant for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is that the Lord is in his life. 